The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Today we're talking to the ASX-listed Antisense Therapeutics, which is tackling uh, not one but two rare diseases with its drug development platform. And to be precise, uh, these conditions are called Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, or DMD, and Acromegaly. And I hope I've uh, pronounced the name correctly. I've got with me today the company's CEO, Mark Diamond, to talk about where the company's at with its clinical programs, which are getting to the uh, pointy end of things. DMD is a particular focus uh, because it's a very nasty, untreatable disease that causes muscle loss in boys, never girls for genetic reasons, and eventually uh, premature death. Acromegaly is a growth disorder caused by hormonal imbalances, and this results in enlarged hands and feet, uh, as well as uh, faces. And this one mainly affects middle-aged adults, and, and it's also very rare. So, Mark, uh, welcome. Thanks very much, Tim. Yeah, no, good to talk. Uh, before we get into the science of it all, I, sh- I should note that uh, Antisense apparently is the oldest ASX-listed biotech, and you're now the uh, longest-serving biotech CEO. Is that, uh, is that right? I yes, I have been <laughs> told that uh, that I am in fact uh, the longest serving as CEO of a publicly listed healthcare company. So I'm hoping or assuming that's a positive thing, uh, and it is surprising to me, you know, that uh, that's the case. I can't imagine that uh, time has passed where you know we've been so focused on moving our uh, products uh, through clinical development. It sounds like the, the old man of biotech, which, which is, you know, not necessarily the handle that I, uh, you know, that I was looking for. But, um, yeah, I think it reflects the fact that, uh, you know, we have been, you know, successful in the programs that we're running with. When we started Antisense Therapeutics, the pipeline was at a very early stage of development. And as you noted, uh, Tim, you know, we've now moved forward from what were research programs into clinical development in both Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and acromegaly and reported positive trial results in both of those indications. So, uh, yeah, we, we're really at an exciting junction now. And so, uh, yeah, the whole company is very much reinvigorated towards uh, you know, pushing these programs now you know, towards commercialisation. So, yeah, it's, it, it's very exciting after having been with the company all this time to, to be at this very uh, interesting and, and exciting juncture in the company's development. And how long has it been, Mark? Uh, so it's now uh, 18 years since the company listed on the, on the ASX. Uh, you know, we, as uh, I think you're familiar with, Tim, we have uh, our relationship with a company called Ionis Pharmaceuticals. So the drugs that are in our pipeline, we acquired or accessed from you know, this relationship from Ionis, they're a $10 billion market cap at NASDAQ listed company based in uh, Carlsbad, California. 
And so we've been working with you know, Ionis on these uh, antisense molecules you know, since the company was formed you know, back in late 2001. Right, okay. And um, your name, of course, is Antisense Technology. Um, Antisense is just that, a, a, a technology platform. I gather it's about disrupting the, the proteins that foster disease, but uh, perhaps you could just uh, explain it a bit further. Yeah, sure. And it's just as you described, Tim, it is you know, what we in the industry call a platform technology. And that means you, know, you can use this uh, same technology and apply it to many disease targets and you know, and therefore in a very wide range of diseases. So the drugs are effectively small uh, chemically modified pieces of DNA and they're designed to do exactly as you described, is to disrupt or block the production of targeted proteins. So the, the drugs are designed to bind to complementary message RNA of the gene they're looking to block and thereby inhibit the production of those uh, of those proteins. So work a little differently than most drugs we know today that are on the market to treat disease. Most of those work by actually binding to the, the proteins after they're being produced. So the, these antisense drugs are working a step earlier by stopping the production in the first instance. So the you know, way they're designed, you know, they are very specific for blocking those uh, proteins that uh, we know that are causing disease or we suspect they're involved in the disease process. And so, you know, Ionis Pharmaceuticals now have uh, three drugs approved uh, with regulatory authorities in Europe and US using the same drug chemistry. They've got another 30 in clinical development using basically the same chemistry as ours. So it is a very mature, well-characterized technology. So, you know, what we would describe as you know, highly de-risked so we're very fortunate, you know, to be able to have access to a technology that is as advanced and as, as you know, well-profiled as, as this drug uh, chemistry is. And that's been a very uh, successful, you know, collaborative arrangement with Ionis, as I said, established back, you know, in, uh, in 2001. Yeah, okay, great. So, so while the, uh, the platform's got wide applicability, most of the in investor excitement um, about your company has been around the uh, Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy Program. So um, perhaps you could uh, describe uh, where, where it's at. You've had some studies at Melbourne's uh, Royal Children's Hospital. What's the upshot to date and uh, what's next, Mark? Sure. And, yeah, Tim, I think you described up front that the, the focus of the company is on advancing its program in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And we are now at a, at a very uh, critical point in the development of that drug. That is that we have completed dosing in a phase two clinical trial that we're running at the Royal Children's Hospital here in Melbourne. Uh, the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne runs the biggest clinic uh, in the sun, Southern Hemisphere treating boys with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So we completed a, a study in non-ambulant boys with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And uh, non-ambulant means these boys are, are wheelchair-bound. As you stated, you know, the Duchenne's is a devastating genetic muscular disease which um, causes loss of uh, muscle strength and function. Initially, it affects the, the legs or lower body of the boys. So by the time they're around 10, 12 years of age, unfortunately, they lose the ability to walk and get confined to, to wheelchairs. So 
we, we have uh, been testing our drugs, as I said, in boys that are more, more advanced with this disorder. Uh, there are very few uh, drugs that have been tested in the boys that are, that are at this stage of development. And to date, the only way of sort of treating the inflammation that's uh, associated with this muscle loss and wasting is through the use of uh, corticosteroids. So the boys with the shens, the only therapeutic option they have is to go on to high doses of uh, drugs like prednisolone. And uh, prednisolone, when used over chronic period at, and at the high doses that they need to be administered for these boys, you know, cause some very significant side effects, including weight gain, uh, reduced bone density, osteoporosis, growth retardation. So they're a very um, helpful medication for these boys. They allow the boys to be able to maintain the muscle function and strength in their upper bodies, but come with some very significant side effects. So we're looking at trying to uh, establish our drug, which we call AT1102, to help these boys maintain their upper uh, limb strength and function in a, a way that is going to be better tolerated, safer than the, than the corticosteroids that are used to date. You know, there's about 45,000 boys in the, in the Northern Hemisphere that have Duchenne. So it's actually the most common fatal uh, genetic disorder. So, you know, while it's a rare disease, it does affect, you know, a lot of boys. And as I said to date, the only way that they can manage the inflammation associated with this disease is to use a, a therapy that was first approved 60 years ago. So the study that, you know, we are running at the Royal Children's Hospital, we announced that we completed dosing in those boys at the end of last year. Very you know, excitingly, you know, we were able to show, uh, Tim, that the drug was very well tolerated. We had uh, no serious uh, events reported in the study after dosing these boys for six months. We had uh, an independent data safety monitoring board review the, the study data and they had no safety concerns at all. So that the safety profile has been you know, described as sort of excellent. And that was a really important outcome from the trial. But what we're also able to show was that we had an effect on the upper limb strength and function of these boys. So generally, because this is a progressive disease, you know, over time, the expectation in these boys is that they will lose a significant amount of strength in their upper limbs. And so when we uh, tested the strength of these boys at the start of the study and then reviewed them at the end of the trial, uh, we had nine boys that were in the study all on a drug therapy and all of them actually on their existing doses of corticosteroids. Yeah. How did you measure the um, the efficacy in terms of the uh, the muscle improvement? Sure, sure. Uh, so we ran some, uh, or the hospital did some standard assessments of the of the strength of the boys. There's a, a two sort of key parameters uh, or assessments that are undertaken. First, they do a range of tests, which are known as the pull two testing, that, that assess the uh, function of the boy's shoulder and arm strength. And then uh, they also uh, assess their grip strength and their pinch strength by using special instrumentation to um, see, just as, a, as the name suggests, my grip and my pinch, how hard they could grip these instrumentation and how 
um, well they could generate a, their pinch strength through through that assessment. So both you know those assessments were done at baseline, which is you know where the, the patients come into the study, and then we measured it through the study, and then again at the end of end of the trial. And on both of those parameters, you know we were able to show improvements on a mean basis through uh, the course of dosing of these boys versus the expected losses that you would anticipate with these boys, even when they're on their high doses of corticosteroids. So in both the pool two assessment and the my, grip, my pinch assessment, as I said, we saw uh, average um, increases on all those parameters versus the expected losses that have, that have been reported in the published literature in boy, non-ambulant boys that uh, were monitored over the same six month period. So, you know, we're really excited you know, by the, the data that we've generated, you know, along with being able to show these, these efficacy signals uh, in this first study. We're also able to show that the drug was having its intended effect on immune cells in the blood, affecting the inflammatory process in these boys. So, you know, it's a proof of concept study. The, the study has delivered more than what we could have ever anticipated you know, for when we first set up the trial. So, you know, uh, the next um, phase of development is what we call a phase two B clinical trial. So we're looking to run that in Europe. We've been speaking to the regulatory authorities in Europe. We've had meetings, what we call scientific advice meetings with three of the national authorities talking about that next clinical trial. And we've had very good feedback from the from the regulatory authorities, you know, they've agreed that if we run a study for uh, up to uh, a year of dosing in these boys, and if we can show the type of changes that we were able to observe in that initial study that we run at the Royal Children's Hospital on the boys' upper limb strength and function, if we can show those uh, type of improvements over a year, there's a potential opportunity for us to sort of anticipate an approval for that, uh, for the use of that drug in Europe. This would be as, as an orphan drug, wouldn't it? So the, the regulatory uh, approval processes are, are sort of a lot quicker than, than usual because there's no other treatment, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it is um, being a rare disease. It is classified as an orphan drug. And so the study that I just outlined, you know, we are, expecting you know that we could conduct that study in only uh, 75 patients and the reason you know that we would able to get a study like that to a point where you know we could expect a, an a approval in in those sort of you know low patient numbers relatively speaking is because you know the, the regulatory authorities do allow us to be able to get you know approvals uh, in in smaller studies in rare diseases so yeah it's uh, one of the real attractive features of a program like this is because you know it does allow a small company like ourselves to potentially you know get to approval in a in a smaller quicker study which doesn't have the same funding expense of the you know say the studies that we you would run in uh, you know, indications where much much larger studies are, are required yeah okay and so so nine patients uh would that be enough to uh, to seek eventual regulatory approval? I mean, as you say, it's a very rare degree, so there's only sort of 44,000 patients globally. I, I imagine getting nine in, in the one site is sort of a, a reasonable ask. So that having the, the data from these nine patients is 
it's sufficient for us to be able to move to this next study, Tim, you know, where we're thinking the study in 75 patients, and, and effectively that would be 25 patients on placebo and another 50 patients on drug, that that could get us an approval. So the, the nine patient study has been uh, very, very helpful in confirming the efficacy and safety of the drug and allowing us to move forward into what would be a pivotal study. Okay, great. Yeah. Look, Mark, so sometimes the argument uh, with these rare diseases is with, with the commerciality, uh, it's obviously a horrible disease, uh, but what the addressable market is, in your view, um, in, in um, monetary terms? Sure. Uh, so, you know, uh, one of the other features of rare disease drug development is uh, the the authorities, you know, recognise that uh, that because it's the patient numbers are small for companies to be able to get an appropriate return on investment, the cost of therapy ends up being, you know, quite substantial. You know, for the treatment of uh, Duchenne's, there are drugs uh, in the US that, are, that have been approved to look to uh, restore or increase the levels of the protein that these uh, Duchenne's boys are unable to make, which is the protein dystrophin. These agents are being uh, made available to Duchenne's boys at a cost of 500000 up to a million dollars annually for their therapies. So even the steroids that are being used in the US approved for use in Duchenne's, the cost of therapy for the steroids, you know, they're being charged out at you know, something like $150,000 to $200,000 annually for treatments. Is that reimbursable generally? Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So when you've got 20,000 you know, patients, let's call it, 25,000 boys in the US who are all going to need to, at some point to have the inflammation addressed or treated, you know, if you're charging, let's say, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars for your therapy, you know, that's a $4 billion product opportunity. And there's a drug in the US uh, called uh, Ateplicin, marketed by a company called Sarepta. Its focus is on looking at increasing dystrophin levels in boys. It's though only applicable to a small percentage of boys that have the specific mutation that this drug addresses. Okay, so it's not sort of a rival drug as such. It's not, not a rival to ours. In fact, we think that there's a great opportunity to use our um, drug that reduces inflammation in combination with a drug that looks to increase the dystrophin levels. So we're thinking down the track, there's a great opportunity for the sort of uh, combination therapeutic approach. But I was just going to say this drug that's only effective in about 13% of boys is currently selling about $400 million annually just in the US alone. You know, the market for DMD therapies is expected to be, you know, greater something like $5 billion in the next couple of years. So, you know, as you say, while small number of patients, it really is a very exciting commercial opportunity for the company as well. Now, we've been talking about uh, DMD, uh, focusing on that uh, probably quite rightly, but uh, just just quickly with acromegaly, what's sort of the uh, market opportunity there? Sure. So there's uh, about 85,000 patients in the Northern Hemisphere, so it's US and Europe, that have the disease, which is, uh, as you were highlighting before, a hormonal disorder. It's caused by a, a benign tumour of the pituitary gland which causes these uh, patients to produce too much growth hormone. 
So uh, in the treatment of acromegaly, what we're looking to do is to sort of dampen down the uh, effects of this overproduction of the growth hormone. So generally, most of the treatment initially is focused on trying to remove the tumour from these patients. It's accessible in about half the patients, so you end up uh, with about 40-odd thousand patients having to go on lifelong drug therapy. And so today, the therapies for treating acromegaly yeah, that's a multi-billion dollar uh, market as well too. And, you know, the cost of therapy, you know, their ranges, you know, from sort of 80000 up to, you know, $200,000 a year's treatment. So with our drug, we're, we're looking to focus it on patients who have failed first-line therapy. So as I said, about half the patients who go on to therapy uh, end up not being able to get a, a successful treatment or sufficient e efficacy in being able to uh, reduce the effects of the production of the growth hormone. So, you know, there's something like we think, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, about 20,000 patients, Tim, that aren't adequately treated by the existing drug treatments. So, you know, it's a really large potential market for us. We've completed a successful phase two clinical trial. We've been able to show our drug, you know, in uh, acromegaly patients, reducing down those hormone levels to within the normal range, which is the sort of goal of treatment and what you need to get, do to get these drugs approved. Next phase of development for us would be a, a phase 2B3 a clinical trial. And our intention is to move forward into that program with the partner. So we're talking to you know, pharmaceutical companies around the prospect of you know, sort of licensing the drug where the partner would pick up the development cost and you know we would uh, look to be remunerated through you know licensing fees through the successful development of the drug okay so this wouldn't be with ionis this, this would be with another party correct exactly right so we're talking to companies that have interest in endocrinology and acromegaly and yeah so this is one where we're not looking necessarily to invest our capital to move it forward do it through a partnership but you know really excited by the potential value creation that, that could come by moving this drug forward into what could be the last phase of clinical development and could lead to a, an approval of the drug. So we you know, sort of said from the outset, we've got quite a late stage you know, clinical pipeline and you know, on both, with both drugs, not that far away from potential commercialization. Yeah, sure. Okay. And uh, speaking of value accretion, um, your, your shares uh, in, in December when you uh, announced the DMD results, they had a good uh, good kick up. Maybe they've come back. They've, they haven't held on to uh, all of those gains. So uh, I'm just sort of wondering uh, from the point of view of investors, when the next uh, sugar hit is, uh, so, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, we had the results out in uh, late December. So we really haven't had uh, much of an opportunity to get out and talk to them. So thank you, Tim, for the opportunity today to uh, be able to, to uh, you know, update and outline the data. So, you know, we're really planning you know, over the next, you know, three to six months to be out uh, to, you know, present the data at key conferences. Uh, we've got our principal investigator. He's going to be presenting at a a major you know, muscular dystrophy conference in the next half. People from our team also looking to to do presentations in the US and Europe. So, you know, uh, we've got the completion of the study. We're looking to you know, lock the database and, and have all the study data uh, finally analysed 
at the end of this quarter. So there's more news flow to come around the study. There's the uh, opportunity for us to get out and present it at scientific meetings where investors and scientific people, you know, very familiar with these products will get a chance to review the data. So, you know, we're expecting you know, that news flow and the exposure of the drug internationally to, you know, sophisticated investors and observers, including, you know, pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, that's, you know, going to generate a lot of interest. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a really exciting three, six-month period for the company. Yeah, really, really looking forward to the opportunity to get out and tell the story. Okay, great. Yeah, well, look, there's obviously a lot to watch out for. We'll, we'll wrap it up now, but uh, congratulations on your, uh, your your longevity. I'm sure you would have been uh, sacked by now if you're doing something wrong. I hope, your, uh, I hope your record stays intact. And, uh, of course, good luck with uh, both of the key programs. Great, great to talk. Thanks a lot, Tim. Hopefully you will have many more discussions to look forward to in the future. Thanks. Thanks.